Very good morning to everyone. It's my privilege and joy to be here this morning to share God's words with you. Uh, today I'll be preaching on <clears throat> John chapter 8, verses 12 to 47. Uh, the best way to follow the sermon is to keep your Bibles open so that you know I'm not pulling a fast one on you, okay? So that you can follow along uh, to also ensure that uh, I'm faithful to the text. Ken, allow me to uh, open us with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you to ask for your help this morning, for we can do nothing without you. I just ask that may you open uh, the hearts and ears of my brothers and sisters in Christ to listen to your words, and also may, you, uh, may your spirit empower me to proclaim your words faithfully, and that may Christ be exalted in all of this. So be with us this morning, for we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are some folks amongst us uh, with a general distrust of doctors. A general distrust of doctors. Uh, you know, sometimes when they, when, these, uh, you know, when they visit the hospital, they give consultation to the doctors. Yeah? Instead of the doctors uh, consulting them, uh, giving them advice. Uh, making it very hard for them to receive any treatment at all. So I once visited an uh, old person in hospital. Uh, he had a serious case of gangrene. And so where, where the blood flow uh, to a large area of the tissue is cut off. And so the doctor told him that he needs to go for an amputation. But he hesitated because perhaps he didn't understand the seriousness of his condition. Or maybe he can't bear to you know, part with his lower limb. But finally, he did amputate. And when I went to visit him that day, you know, the day I visited him in hospital, he looks totally fine. But the next day, I received a message from uh, his family member to, to, to tell me that he had passed on. And so sadly, it was a case of too little, too late for him. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, it is important for us to listen to the right person. Otherwise, there will be serious consequences. And we know from Genesis that in the beginning, Adam and Eve chose not to listen to God, but to the devil instead. And they brought suffering, pain, alienation from God, and death into the world. All because they trust, listened, and followed the wrong person, and plunged the world into darkness. So be careful whom you listen to. And Satan, Satan is out to get us with his lies. He wants to drag you to hell together with him. And there is a spiritual battle for your life. This battle fought true words, truth that saves, and lies that destroys. So we continue with our Gospel of John series, and today we are at John chapter 8. And in verses 1 to 11, we won't be covering because it is not found in the earlier, uh, earliest manuscript. So we will begin at verse 12. And so from today's passage, with God's help, I hope that you will see and be convinced on why we should listen to Jesus Christ our Lord. First, we see in verse 12 of chapter 8, where Jesus declares that he is the light of the world. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
So the first reason why we should follow or listen to Jesus is because he is the light of the world. And so to understand this light metaphor in the Bible, the best place to start is, of course, the Old Testament. So we see back in Genesis, the first time God spoke, light and life came into this dark world. And we also see in the Exodus account where God rescued Israel out of the darkness of slavery and he sent darkness upon the Egyptians to rescue his people. We also see that God's presence continued to be with his people as he lighted the way for them through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud and fire through day and night. And the wisdom books, the Samis, the Samis saw God's presence and wisdom as light. And the opening passage we read in Psalm 27, if you were here at uh, 9am sharp, you will have heard the opening passage taken from Psalm 27 verse 1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, my, is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And in the prophets, we see that God oftentimes, he, through the prophets, he promised to send light into this morally corrupted, fallen world, alienated from him, to draw the world back to himself. And we see this very clearly in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, where God promised that he will send a servant of the Lord in the future. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to rise up the, the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserve of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the, the earth. So we see through the Old Testament, the light metaphor has always been used for God's divine revelation of himself, his holiness and his glory. So it is no small thing that Jesus Christ declares to the Jews that he's not just a light of Israel, but he's light of the world. And to understand the context in which Jesus de declares these words, we need to look at the context, the situation he was in, which I think Pastor Chris uh, covered last week. Uh, the Jews were having this huge celebration. It's called the Feast of Booths or Festival of Tabernacle. And we see that in this uh, feast, it commemorates uh, Israel's uh, rescue out of Egypt. And they reenact uh, their days of staying in tents, you know, camping tents or, or, or in booths. Uh, so during this celebration, they would, they would set up tents and they would live in tents to remind them of the 40 years in the wilderness where God himself dwelt in their midst, in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle. And this feast also coincides with the gathering of the harvest. So it both reminds them and to celebrate God's provision as well as God's presence with them in the wilderness. And later, the Jews would incorporate the ceremony of uh, water drawing and the illumination, the light, the light ceremony of the temple. And so the drawing of the water, I won't cover because it has already been covered last week. And we see that the uh, 
this celebration of uh, ceremony of light, you know, it's, it always takes place uh, in the treasury situated in the court of the women, where, this, where the Jews were light up for 22 meter high candle. Wow, can you imagine? 22 meter high candle. So these candles were lighted up. They were erected in the temple where the treasury was located. And because the temple, the city was set on a hill, the glorious glow from the temple would light up the night sky. And it reminds them of the Exodus. God's presence led them by a pillar of cloud and fire. It also reminds them of God's glory that filled the tabernacle in Exodus 40 as well as the first temple which Solomon built in 1 Kings 8. So against this backdrop, in the treasury, the very place where the ceremony of light took place is where Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world. He's saying, I am that light. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? And he goes on to say that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but we have the light of life. An echo of the prologue of chapter 1, verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. But of course, we know the Pharisees are his nemesis and they would challenge him on such a bold claim. And so the, the Pharisees challenge Jesus and says, you know, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true, according to verse 13. See, even us modern days, modern days people, we oftentimes we make our purchases based on the testimony, the witness, the reviews and recommendations of others, isn't it? You know, whether it's movies or hotels, or maybe you want to buy the latest gadget, you will always read up, especially for the guys, right? You always read up on the review first, right, on the gadget before you uh, put your money in to buy them. Uh, and likewise, uh, we do the same for doctors too. We have many doctors in ARPC, so we always uh, recommend uh, doctors to our church members. You know, as you age, you, know, you, uh, you need to change spare parts, right? So you need uh, a cataract surgery, you need to go for knee heat replacement or knee replacement or whatever it is. So uh, yeah, so there's this particular orthopedic um, uh, Dr. Go, he, he attends uh, Bishan. Uh, he does uh, hip replacement and knee surgery for many of our staff and members. Because uh, you know, they have good experience with him, so they would recommend him, say, you, you need orthopedic, look, look for this Dr. Go. So any of you who need an uh, orthopedic surgeon, come and uh, speak to me later. I will uh, you know, introduce you to him. Yeah. So the Pharisees are essentially saying, hey, Jesus, how can you write your own review and give yourself five star? Cannot write. And it's not credible for Dr. Go to go around to tell others that he's a very good orthopedic surgeon. Right? No one will believe him, but if one of the pastors recommend him, maybe you, you would, right? Yeah, so, but Jesus' rebuttal is this. Jesus said that even if I testify of myself, my testimony is true. Why? He proclaims to be the light of the world, right? So, so, now, how do you know that the light in this hall is on? How do you know that the light in this hall is on? Because it's bright, yeah, precisely. Because you see the light. The presence of light bears witness to itself, 
right? At least one person is paying attention to me. Yeah. The, the presence of the light bears witness to itself. Unless you are blind, then you cannot see, right? Or unless you are living in darkness. So Jesus, his words and works, his own testimony bears witness to who he says he is. And we see that he's God's revelation to us in John chapter 1, verse 14. In the prologue, it said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus goes on to defend himself, and he says, he told them that, you know, the key difference between you and me is I am the light. I know my origin and my destination. My origin, I'm from the Father. And my destination, I will return to the Father. But you don't. You are in darkness and you are clueless. And by the way, if you meet two witnesses, well, my two witnesses are myself, which I already introduced to you earlier, and my Father, seen in verse 18. Because Jesus, his, his signs, right? The Gospel of John is about signs. Uh, his signs testify of who he claims to be. And so since Jesus claims to be sent from God the Father, he calls on God, his Father, to be his other witness. Logical, right? Logical. So if, if, uh, <clears throat> yeah. so if someone, let's say if I send my son to you to, to borrow, borrow money, right? Then you say, if, are you sure your dad sent you here to borrow money? Then you will call me and say, hey, Pastor Jason, did you send your son to borrow money? I say, yes. Ah. Right? Yeah, you, you would check. Yeah, so he is, it's logical for him to call upon his father as the other witness. And furthermore, if Jesus claims to be from above, then surely he cannot call upon any witnesses on earth. And so we see that the Pharisees challenged him once again in verse 19 and said, fine, okay, then, where is your father? Of course, they were in the dark. They were clueless that Jesus was talking about God the Father. And so Jesus' rebuttal is that you don't know the Father because you don't know the Son whom the Father sends. If you knew me, then you would know my Father also, in verse 19. Furthermore, in verse 23, while you are from the earth and part of the fallen earth, you will die in darkness. Verse 21, you will die in your sin. The sin is a singular uh, verb, a sin of unbelief. And verse 24, you will die in your sins, which is plural. Other sins that probably sprout from the sin of unbelief and the rejection of God. Jesus goes on to say that I'm from above, I'm from heaven, I'm not of this world, I'm not part of this fallen world. And unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So Jesus here, He goes on to make a really bold claim. He claims that He's not just the light of the world, that He is the great I am. And in order for the Jews to know His true identity, when, whether all the claims about himself are true or false, that whether is, is he truly the light of the world, all these claims will be seen in the glory of the cross. 
in verse 28, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, and speak just as the Father taught me. So when Jesus, he mentions when he's lifted up on the cross. Now this lifted up language, we have seen it earlier on in chapter 3 verse 14, where Jesus, Jesus mentioned that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. If you remember chapter 3, that passage that Jesus uh, made reference to, God commanded Moses to lift up a bronze serpent staff and told the Israelites who were beaten by the f uh, fiery serpents to look at the bronze serpent and all who look live and all who refuse to look died. And so Jesus draws that parallel to himself that when he's lifted up on the cross is where Jesus will, brings, will bring about healing and salvation to the world, to all who would otherwise die in their sins. So when Jesus is physically lifted up on the cross, he will also be figuratively lifted up in glory. It is at the cross that you will see him in all his glory as the light of the world. It's only by looking at the cross that the Jews will re realize that Jesus' claims about himself is true. Then they will know that he, he is the great I am. So brothers and sisters in Christ, what does this mean for us with regards to Jesus being the light of the world? Well, let me just uh, do a little test here to see if you are living in darkness. Okay. Now, let me ask you, do you know where you come from? Where you originated from? Some might think that, you no, know, they came from apes, or you, you are just a random uh, mess of cells. Do you know where you are going after you die? Perhaps some are clueless or think that we will just vanish into thin air. Do you know Jesus for who he claims he is? Do you have a relationship with him? And do you see Jesus in all his glory on the cross? If you don't to any of these questions, then perhaps you're still living in darkness. But I have good news for you because you need to listen on. And the person you need to listen to the most is our Lord Jesus Christ because God sent him to speak to us. His words are from the Father. He is the light of the world, God's divine revelation. And unless you believe that he is who he claimed to be, you will die in your sins. And so second point, why listen to Jesus? Because if you listen to him, you will have the light of life. In verses 30 to 32, and he says these things, many believe in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So do allow me to unpack this passage for us. Firstly, Jesus is saying that abiding in his words will prove that you are truly his disciples. Second, abiding in his words will result in you knowing the truth. And third, by knowing the truth, the truth will set you free. 
And Jesus didn't say this to a bunch of unbelievers. He said, according to the passage, he said this to the Jews who had believed him. Now, earlier on, when uh, there were some who believed him because they saw the signs that he performed, but when he's teaching, uh, no, he, when he, he taught difficult things like uh, eating my flesh and drinking my blood, many left him. And, and now Jesus performed no signs, but he taught in the temple. And they believed him because of his teachings. Yet he insists that they must continue to abide in his words. And so the litmus test to true discipleship for us is not church attendance, once a week. The litmus test for us is whether you abide, whether you remain, obey, cling on to Jesus and his words seven days a week. And I will say more of this later. And we see that the truth revealed in and by Jesus will set us free. But free? Free from what? Well, in verse 12, free from a life of darkness. Verse 21, 22, free from the judgment of sin and death. Verse 21 and 32, he mentions that free from the sin of unbelief. And 34 to 36, free from the sin of slavery. And so abiding in Jesus' words and knowing the truth is true freedom. Why? Because Jesus' light, his words will expose our darkness. It will expose our sins. His, this truth about Jesus and his work on the cross frees us from the need to hide and to live in the darkness like cockroaches. So when Jesus shines the light to expose our sin, it is God's grace to us. And Jesus, the light, offers forgiveness and life. In him, there is no condemnation or judgment. And we also see that Jesus the light offers a relationship with the Father because his light will draw us back to the Father. You know, there's a huge difference between being a son and a slave. You know, being a slave or a servant is transactional with your master. If you do something wrong, uh, then you uh, want to hide. Right? You want to run away from your master because you are afraid of punishment. You are afraid that he will rebuke you and scold you. But being a son, if you have done something wrong, you can always run back to the father to ask for forgiveness. And you will never lose your sonship. So why listen to Jesus, the light of the world? Because whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the third and final point, why listen to Jesus? Otherwise, you will walk in darkness. And perhaps this is what darkness looks like, demonstrated by the Jews, when they trust in their ties, their association. They declare that they are offspring of Abraham, so they don't need Jesus. They declare that they have never been enslaved, they are free because Abraham is their father. And similarly, in parallel, what does it look like for us in modern day, as a modern day Christian? 
Well, we can also trust in our tithes, you know, because we think that we attend church. You know, our, we have been serving actively in ministry, in BBGB or in children's church, in basic, in music. You know, I've, I've given so much to the ARPC at Tenga Project. How can I not be a Christian? Surely God will let me in into the kingdom. No, I grew up in a Christian family. My parents are pious Christians. No, uh, maybe my father is a pastor or a church leader. Or perhaps for some of us, we just go through the motion of coming for service or you know, celebrate Easter and Christmas or we wear a cross and we assume that we are in the kingdom. So are we trusting in the things of Christianity or are we truly trusting and following Christ? And maybe some of us here might think that, hey, I'm not enslaved to sin. This darkness of self-righteousness and pride, you know, we think that we're smart, we're successful. I don't need Jesus and his words. I don't need to be told that I'm a sinner. It's offensive. I don't need to die to self and take up the cross and follow Jesus. You know, Jesus are for people like the BB and GB boys. Uh, boys and girls. No, Jesus and forgiveness is for the Bas brothers, no, for other sinners. I'm not like them. I'm not in any bondage. I'm well-educated, successful. I'm influential. I belong to the upper echelon of society. Let me tell you, and so were the Pharisees. And Jesus' rebuttal to them is that without him, they, are, they will remain slaves and in bondage. So in verse 34 to 36, Jesus used this household metaphor of the status of a son and a slave. He told them that they are a slave to sin and unbelief. And being a spiritual slave is worse than being an economic and political slave. And unlike the son, the slave does not remain in the house forever. He has no permanent place in the house forever. But if the son sets the slave free, the slave will be free indeed. And Jesus continued to tell them that you may be Abraham's offspring, but no biological, physical offspring, but you are not Abraham's spiritual offspring. Let me tell you why. In verse 39, Jesus and they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. And now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. So Jesus told them that they are not Abraham's offspring because they have rejected the truth. And if Abraham was here, he would have acted in faith and obedience, responding and receiving God's words. And we know that Abraham is a model of faith. And Jesus said that, you know, if you were Abraham's offspring, you would be doing the works of Abraham. What works did Abraham do? Well, we see that Abraham's works is actually active faith. He didn't just believe in, G, uh, in, in God in his, in his heart, but he acted out that faith in obedience. And we see that clearly in two accounts in the book of Genesis. One is uh, in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, that was before his name was changed, go from your country and your kindred 
to your father's house to the land that I will show you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So we see in, in chapter 12, God appears and spoke to him and asked him, uproot yourself, leave your family and your homeland, go to a foreign land which I will be showing you where you just listen and follow me. There's no GPS. I'm your GPS. And Abraham is not young. He's 75 years old. That's the age where most of us retire, right? If I'm 75, I just want to just be, I just want to be rooted in one place and just relax and chill and stay with my family. I don't want to go on a brand new adventure with God to a foreign land at 75 years old. But Abraham responds to God's words with faith and obedience. And the next account in verse 22 is a mind-blowing one. It says, he said, God spoke to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. If I'm Abraham, and God appeared to me, spoke to me in the Bible, right? This is where I close the Bible, put it in the, in the back in the drawer and say, bye, I'm not going to obey, you know? Ask me to sacrifice my son, my only son. It's, it's crazy, right? But guess what? Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the next morning. He didn't even say, bargain with God, say, God can, can give me some time to spend with my son, you know, uh, before I sacrifice him. No, the next morning, he rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So we see that Abraham's obedience in God is an enduring one. It's not just a one-soft one, which shows that abiding in God's word, in Jesus' word, is a marathon, not a sprint. It means you not just have to start well, you need to end well. No, it's not just about saying the sinner's prayer when I was 14 years old and once saved, forever safe. It's about continue to live out that faith. You know, every time we have new member service over here, I'm really encouraged to hear about, you know, to hear about what God is doing in the lives of our people here, especially through their testimony, their sharing. It's always very encouraging. But my prayer for them is that most of them are very new Christian. They get, they, they're so passionate and excited about Jesus. The first one or two years, you know, when you become a Christian, you are on fire for Jesus. But will we still see them in our service five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years down the road? Will they still be a true disciple of Jesus? So Jesus is not just Lord over our salvation, but Lord over our everyday. Your daily mundane, boring grind of everyday life. Is he Lord over them? Do you allow his words to rule you? Are you listening to his voice in your work, in your school, in your marriages, in your, in your work and hobbies? And we see that we do live by words. Words have the power to inspire and shape us. So this is where I play a, a game with us because some of us are dozing off. So 
Yeah, you, you like playing games, right? I do. So uh, let's play a game of uh, uh, recognizing the motto or slogan of organization. Okay. Okay. I, I will recite. I will recite the slogan or motto, and you tell me the the organization, right? Okay. The best is yet to be. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Hope of a better age. Hope of a better age. Alright, yeah, alright, alright, yeah. Okay. Potes quivot. Potes quivot. Sempets. Wow, alright, Sempets. I'm, I'm from Sempets. No one else knows this, but only the, the Sempets boys. Alright. Okay, so, motto, right? They inspire generations to strive for academic achievement and improvement. Right? Just a few short words inspires us. Okay, what about the next one? For honor and glory. Ah, boys. Commando. Hey, commando never shout commando. For honor and glory. Uh, commando is right. For honor and glory. Ready to strike. Guards, right? Yeah. So this motto inspire bravery in our soldiers. Again, brands, brands also use slogans and words to tell a story, to convince us to throw our money at them. Uh, Okay, I'm loving it. McDonald's, you're right. I'm loving it. Finger licking good. KFC. KFC, just few words, right? I, some of you are hungry already, right? <laughs> ah. M&N's. Oh, I just see M&N's, sorry. <laughs> the happiest place on earth. Disney, I got a different slogan. The most expensive place on earth. Okay? <laughs> How about this? Just do it. Nike, wow. you see, you, the minute you put on a Nike shoe, you feel wow, power, you can run, right? Yeah, so, so just a few words inspire so many generations. So what about God's words? Do we allow Jesus' words to mold us and shape us? So if we say yes, right, if we claim to say yes, right, how, in a, well, seven days a week, how often, how many days your Bibles are closed? And how many days your Bibles are open? Okay, for us to think about. So, moving on, in verse 41, the Jews continue to challenge Jesus because Jesus rebuked them and said, Abraham is not your father, right? So, they go one up against him. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Wow. Now they hit below the belt, you know. Why? Because this is a personal attack against Jesus. They're mocking him. They're mocking his parents because of the virgin birth. No, perhaps implying that Jesus was born out of wedlock. That Joseph was not Jesus' true father. Ironically, precisely, Joseph is not Jesus' true father. That's what he has been claiming all along, right? He's claiming God to be his father. And they also went on to say, no, unlike you, we have proper lineage. We have God as our Father. And Jesus rebutted against them. Jesus said, oops, did I just... Okay. Jesus said, if God is your Father, then you would love me. Why? Because God sent me to you. I came from God in verse 40, 42. And because God sent me to proclaim his words to you, then you would hear and obey what God has to say in verse 47. So let me just give you an illustration. I, I am a child kidnapper. 
I have to, I have to confess. Before the pandemic, I love to kidnap little babies, especially under one year old, away from their parents. I love to carry them, you know, yeah, just take them around because so cute, right? Until they start crying, then I return them to their parents. Yeah, yeah. So, but after the pandemic, I have you no know, hesitated in carrying them in case I spread a bug to them. But I will not uh, kidnap a baby uh, who is like above one year old. Why? Because by then, when they're like one and a half and above, right, they would recognize their parents' facial shape, right? Features. They would recognize their parents' voice. And when I carry them, they will respond by crying. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so we see that Jesus' claim is that if God is your father, then you would listen and obey to him. Obey him. You would receive me because I come from him. And I spoke... The words I speak is from him. And Jesus go one step further to slap their face. Jesus said that you are of the devil. Your father is the devil. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So Jesus told them that they belong to the devil because they share his DNA. And here Jesus mentioned two things about the devil. First, the devil is a murderer in the beginning, most likely referring to the account in the, back in the Garden of Eden, where the devil deceived Adam and Eve and brought death to humanity. And second thing Jesus mentioned about the devil is that he's a liar. He does not stand in the truth. And because he's a liar, he, he, he will oppose the truth from God. And it is evident that the Jews are like the devil. They share his DNA, considering the fact that they were plotting to murder Jesus. And they were rejecting the truth about Jesus. And you look closely at verse 40, 45, Jesus said this. He said, But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. The whole reason why you do not believe me is because I am speaking the truth and you do not stand in the truth. And there's only one possible reason why when I keep offering you the truth and you keep rejecting them, in verse 47, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. While those who belong to God will hear the words of God, those who do not, we are not. And so, what does it mean for us in closing? Well, the modern day version of rejecting the truth and trusting in lies is oftentimes fought on who Jesus Christ is. I say it once, once again, huh? the modern day version of this is fought on who Jesus is, on, on his identity. For many heresies have come out based because of the identity of who Jesus is. And so we see that oftentimes, you know, Jesus is portrayed, and all Christians are also portrayed, as the bad guys in movies and on social media. No, we are mocked as people who are lunatics, fanatics. You know, we are, we are dishonorable people. We are bigots. We are oppressive. 
And uh, you know, Christianity is all about your pastor asking you for money. Uh, so we are always the bad guy. But if you believe in those lies, then you will die in your sin. And the other lie, which is more uh, common among us, is that the devil will tell us, why listen to God? Listen to your heart. Okay, listen to your heart. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, our heart is always changing. One moment we are happy, the next moment we are sad. One moment we love our siblings, the next moment we want to kill them, right? I mean, those with siblings, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah? Yeah, uh, you ask any kid or youth what they want to be when they grow up. Their ambition will be different from year to year. Our goals and desires are always evolving. Sometimes we don't even know what we want in life. True or not? So do we trust something that is constantly shifting? Or do you trust the never-changing, eternal Word of God? Do you allow Jesus to speak words of truth and, and light into your life for the light of the world to shine in your darkness? Or do you trust your deceiving hearts? And the third and final line we see, which is very common today, is postmodernism, no relativism, where skeptics they, they reject any absolute universal truth. No, you can have your version of truth, and I can have mine. No, you can. No, sometimes I have friends, or no, I can talk about anything. But the minute you talk about Jesus, ah, uh, wow, then their face change already, right? Don't talk to me about Jesus. You're claiming absolute truth about sin and salvation. No such thing. And so it's just a disdain, a hatred for Jesus and the truth. So let me use uh, an analogy to draw what it means, okay? So it's like Baskin Robbins versus cancer, okay? Baskin Robbins, they assume that when we proclaim about Jesus and truth, they, they assume that it's like Baskin Robbins. Why? Let me ask you, what's, what's the most delicious, what's the best uh, ice cream flavor in Baskin Robbins? Vanilla. Vanilla. Anyone else? Huh? Baskin, what's Baskin oh, yeah, Maybe you, if you go to Malaysia, you'll see. Uh, they used to be here. Okay, it, it, you just reveal your age over there. Yeah. Okay, ice cream flavor for, for that matter, right? If I ask all, what, 500 of us, you have different opinions of what is the best ice cream flavor in the world. They assume that when we say that Jesus is the truth, you know, when you, you are a sinner, they assume that we are talking about Baskin Robbins. But let's say if uh, you go, go for your recent medical checkup and the doctor tells you, so sorry, we found a, a huge tumor in your liver and uh, it's huge. It's four-stage cancer and it's spreading all around. It's, it came out in the MRI and the CT scan and all. And uh, no, I don't think you have... Uh, no, you, you either go for a treatment, no, or like the gangrene case, right? You either go for an amputation or you die. No. So you say, no, 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 doctor, you have your version of truth and I have mine. You know, that is your truth. That's not my version of truth. Oh, well, you can claim that, but eventually you will die. You, you understand where, where I'm going? It's either you or the doctor is right. Only one of you can be right. So when we talk about how we are sinners in need 
of the light of the world. Is this truth that we are claiming, this absolute truth? So brothers and sisters in Christ, who do you listen to? I pray that you will listen to Jesus because he is the light of the world. And whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And unless you believe in him, you will die in your sins. And there's a fierce spiritual warfare being fought over you. The devil wants to drag you along with him to hell. But Jesus came to be the light in your darkness, to save you. Will you open your heart to him today and allow his light to shine into your life, to dispel the darkness? There's no need to run away from God when your sins are exposed. For he sent Jesus to offer you forgiveness of your sins, and his light will restore and heal you. And for those of us who already profess to be believers, I pray that whatever comes your way, that God will help you to always abide in his words, for his words are eternal and true, to always listen and to love his son. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for sending our Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world, to shine your light into the darkness of our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that you have chosen us to be, a, to be your children even before the creation, that by the work of the Spirit, we are born again, that you have enabled us to respond to your words in faith. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that it's a privilege to be saved by you. And even, if you, yes, even as you have shone your light in our lives, may we continue to abide in your words, to follow Jesus all the days of our lives, so that we are truly your disciple. We also pray that even as we are light bearers, may we also be this light to the people around us, to share Jesus and to live out the gospel so that others may come to know you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.